0: Good afternoon
1: and welcome. It's Tuesday and that means it's time for our crack strategy panel. So Parliament will have its first virtual sitting today. Is democracy being served or is there enough oversight of the government? Some observers say no. And what about the Conservatives? Last week was not a good one for Interim Leader Andrew Scheer, and so some want to push ahead with electing a new permanent leader. How could that happen in the current crisis? And yesterday, the province unveiled its plan for reopening the economy. How did they do with that? We'd like to hear from you as well. The numbers, what? toll free 1866 seven forty four seven forty and now I'm joined by John Capobianco, senior vice president and senior partner Fleischman Hillard High Road; Karen Stints, CEO of Variety Village and a former Toronto city councillor, as well as Charles Bird, managing principal of Earnscliffe Strategy Group in Toronto. Hello, everyone. Hello, Libby. Hi, Libby. Hi. Hi, Libby. Okay, first of all, how is everybody doing uh, after uh, another week cooped up?
2: We're still getting still getting by, Libby. I think it's uh, probably safe to say that we're um, anxious to see this uh, this curve flatten some more.
3: <laughs> Charles, uh, all is well on the home front. My uh, son turned nine yesterday, and we had uh, a virtual birthday party.
4: Birthday. A virtual birthday party. Exactly. That's good. Karen? Yeah, no, things are fine here. My dogs are getting lots and lots of walks, like many dogs in the,
1: uh, in the country. Uh, you so, know, uh, I saw an article about how uh, dogs will be psychologically affected when everybody goes back to work and they don't have as much attention and, and, and how to deal with your dog's mental health. Just putting yeah, that out that. there. I believe that. Okay, so uh, let's begin with the province's phase, three phases, their blueprint for a recovery, which, as we kept hearing over and over, is not a calendar. Karen, what's your reaction to it?
4: Well, you know, I I think that, uh, by and large, Ontario is taking a more risk-based approach to opening the economy and saying, you know, certain things have to be in place where uh, we can monitor a trap. Test and, and trace before we can think about opening up uh, in a broader in a broader way, and so you know it does. And I think it does put pressure on um, you know public health and the systems within the province to be able to do the testing and the, the tracing, and the contact tracing, um, and so that has to be uh, a key piece of infrastructure that needs to be available for us to reopen, um, and so it, yeah, it, 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 what we see in Quebec, I think, is is a riskier strategy. Um, it, it's not without precedent. Certainly, you know, in the European countries, particularly Sweden, they took this approach. So, but, but it goes without saying that Ontario's approach is, is, is much more uh, risk averse.
1: Okay. Uh, Karen, I, you've talked before about the difficulties you're facing with Variety Village. Did that plan make you feel better about things?
4: Well, it, I mean, it, it does, and that we're having the conversation now about uh, returning. Uh, to the to opening up the economy. so that part is is hopeful. Uh, for me personally, again, we don't know uh, because there's no timelines and no time frame and and we don't even know where our programming would fit in terms of that schedule. So uh, it, it is for us hopeful again that the conversation has started. but for us, uh, as a facility that provides programming for kids and hoping to be able to do something for camps, uh, it, it, we're still in a wait and see.
1: Charles, I'm assuming that you have clients who are kind of looking at the same thing and trying to make sense of it and how it applies for them. How's that
3: going? Um, It's it's going well. I mean, it's a sea of programs that have been coming out in rapid-fire succession from the federal government and the provinces. So a lot of what we're doing is just trying to stay in real time in terms of what's on the table. In the case of Karen and Variety Village, uh, it was just a week ago that the federal government announced a $350 million aid package for charitable organizations. And I believe, uh, not for profits and charities will also be covered by the rent release relief provisions that were announced last Thursday. As for, um, the Ontario government's announcement, my own sense is that it's entirely appropriate that they should exercise an abundance of caution. I mean, we had uh, 59 deaths in Ontario, COVID-related deaths yesterday, which is a single-day high. And we've had more than 15,000 cases in Ontario, um, about half of them in the GTA. And while less than 45% of the cases have involved people uh, 60 or older, uh, more than 80% of the deaths have been people 60 or older. And of the total number of deaths, exactly half have happened in long-term care facilities. So obviously this is still a, a very very major problem and you know by by his own admission, the, the premier and his government are struggling to deal with this, and there's been some frustration along the way. And testing remains the, the big problem, because a big part of putting our economy back to work is this whole notion of testing, tracing, and isolating. And at the moment, the problem is capacity, uh, specifically within our provincial labs. Uh, we need to be close to 30,000 tests a day. Public Health Ontario alone is just doing 3,000, and uh, they're just having a very difficult time of it. And they're not alone in that. A number of jurisdictions are facing similar problems.
1: Well, yes, it it is shocking that more than 70% of the deaths actually are in long-term care in Ontario. Uh, John, is there enough in that announcement for your clients to be planning?
2: Well, I think like like Karen was saying uh, earlier, uh, Libby, that is... Um, I I think people are happy, businesses are happy that there's a discussion about that. I think once the the Premier announced that there was a recovery committee made up of, uh, of a number of senior cabinet ministers led by Minister Rod Phillips, um, I think people were generally sort of, you know, buoyed by the fact that, okay, they're thinking about recovery, and, and, and they received a whole bunch of submissions, as you heard from uh, from the minister yesterday in, in the press conference, uh, and that will continue, the consulting will continue with, uh, with businesses and chambers, and, and I think that gives some businesses a, a light at the end of the tunnel to say that, okay, well, at least we're discussing how to come back and, and how does that look like, and I think that the premier was smart to be able to sort of lay the foundation of what a, a recovery would look like, is sort of the fundamentals of of, of, you know, we want make sure we want to make sure that businesses have the the necessary processes in place to ensure that if if they open up that there's a proper physical distancing and, and so forth, and then the next level and the next level, I think it was far more measured than, of course, what we what we heard from from Premier Legault. Uh, interesting that they both had the announcement one after each other, and one was far more aggressive in their recovery plan than, than, than Ontario's. Um, but I also think too, Libby, it's worth noting that this is where I think federal-provincial relations will be strained. Uh, we've seen a, a, a huge amount of cooperation up until now, and, and continuing, quite frankly. But what we're seeing though, and what we're going to see, is provinces uh, on their own, uh, you know, determine how best to bring their provinces back into into recovery, and we're seeing some. Uh, in the, uh, out east saying that they're going to be able to open up more. We, we heard from, from Premier Legault saying that he was going to open up and have schools opened up. Um, uh, far more aggressively than here in Ontario. So, and this is where I think the prime minister is going to get asked: Is there going to be a national strategy to ensure that the recovery across the board is somewhat more uniformed? And the answer is that is is no, because every province is going to have their own issues to deal with, and some are way ahead of the others. BC one who who kind of dealt with this issue a lot earlier than, than a lot of the other provinces, so they're seeing a bit more of an issue. So, I think that's going to be an interesting dilemma. Uh, but I do think that the premier handled it well. I think that he. He laid the foundation, and the next stage is going to be probably dates. Once he sees the curve flattening out a bit more,
1: uh, interesting. You know, I'm I'm just reading a, an interesting piece in the National Post, and it's a, a write up of a C.D. Howe report, uh, which has referred to all the various programs which everyone would say, are necessary as a, quote, gigantic experiment in free economics, which is the study of incentives to figure out behavior. And it's talking about, you know, are people deciding to stay home when they could, in fact, work? And uh, what's it going to do going forward? Uh, Karen, do you have a view of that?
4: Well, there is no question that um, we are in an unprecedented uh, economic I don't even know what to call it, uh, in terms of you know, trying to, to, to plug holes, basically. We're not trying to stimulate any growth because um, we've effectively shut down the economy, but trying to patch it to make sure that not too many people slip through the cracks. And uh, there's no question, even in my own experience with Variety Village, um, I recalled some employees that had been laid off and they, they, didn't, um, they opted not to come back because the benefits that they were getting with EI and then the emergency wage benefit were actually more beneficial for them than to come back and be on 75% of the wage, of their previous wage. So while all of these things, I agree, are necessary, there will come a point, and I think sooner rather than later, when we, we need to start thinking about who, who are those who need help and get them the help that they need But the blanket programs um, might need to be scaled down by virtue of the fact that they're very expensive and that uh, might actually be creating uh, incentives that we don't want to see moving forward in the long term.
1: Well, before I move to Charles, you should tell those employees if they're collecting both EI and the CERB, uh, some of that's going to be taxed back. Yeah I, the prime yeah. minister made that very clear yesterday uh John do you agree i mean i don't want to uh i, I don't want to um you know are are we encouraging a a, a nation of people who want handouts
2: well, no, I, you know what? I don't think so. I think at the end of the day, and we, we talked about this before, Libby, where, you know, the crisis of this, uh, you know, size and, and, and severity uh, blurs a lot of partisan lines and, and blurs a lot of the ideological um, divides in the sense that, you know, everybody agrees that, you know, governments need to step in and need to be able to be helpful and, and give money to save businesses, because Lord knows if, if that wasn't the case, God, God help us. Um, so I think that there is a lot of folks who uh, are looking at that and saying, "Okay, well, this is this is unprecedented times. We do need governments to hand in and uh, come in and hand out and and do what they can." Um, and I think that you know people are accepting of that. But I can't imagine that once once this crisis is over uh, and there's some sort of a new normal coming out of that, that the, the focus and the discussions are going to be based on, "Okay, well, businesses are back to play. There's going to be obviously some." Businesses, small businesses are aren't going to be available and some charities are going to be, uh, they're going to be hurtful. And I, and I was, I was proud to hear the Prime Minister, uh, give money to, uh, the charities and not-for-profits. So that was a really smart play and, uh, and helps uh, organizations like Karen's and others, I think, in, in some way. Um, but, when when this is over i think the discussion has to be about how to recover and how to how to get back into you know re- recovering some of the money that was spent and and having some level of responsibilities back to the businesses but again that seems like you know years away um but i, I do think that that the governments uh, pro- provincial and federal have been doing the right thing and obviously doing what they can to not only make sure that people are safe Uh, first and foremost, but also to ensure that businesses continue and that people can pay their bills and and, and have some level of economy still operating in some fashion.
1: Uh, Charles, do they have to start thinking about, uh, you know, either tightening up some of these programs or or winding them down or making, you know, making it a requirement, for instance, that if you have a job offer that is safe and and appropriate, you have to show that uh, you're not just turning it down?
3: No, the, the consensus among government decision makers at the moment, both federally and provincially, is that they need to do what it takes to suppress and ultimately defeat this virus. I mean, it is, it is unlike anything we have seen before. It is utterly pernicious. It's amazing what we don't know about it. Um, you know, the original thinking was that it was primarily focused on the lungs. Now we're discovering that it's, um, uh, it, it impacts most Organs in the human body. Charles, I, uh, I
1: didn't. I didn't say not defeat the virus. I said turning down a legal and safe
3: job. Um, oh, in terms or- of the. Well, I mean, the, that is something that we just have to deal with in real time. I mean, at the moment, the, the, like the government of Ontario's announcement is primarily focused on getting people to stay home and getting businesses that are operating to implement testing and tracing and isolating right i mean we we really need to be stay focused on the immediate problem which is this virus is very much among us and and going strong so i think that's the kind of ideological discussion that can happen later and i agree with john that you know partisan lines have been blurred but it's not just partisan lines have been blurred by the necessity of of the crisis it's also jurisdictional i mean rent relief but by way of example, is completely provincial jurisdiction. And that just doesn't matter at this point. I mean, the feds are playing heavily in consultation with the provinces. And the whole notion of a patchwork among the provinces in terms of, you know, Saskatchewan and B.C. are likely to reopen their economy sooner simply because Saskatchewan really wasn't hit all that hard BC was hit early on, so they're closer to Europe than the rest of Canada in terms of where they are on the continuum. And the federal government, and specifically Navdeep Bains, the Minister of Innovation, has um, been very open about the fact that he's working directly with the provinces to try to implement consistent standards for, for tracking and testing and tracing and isolating, because that's the only thing that's going to enable us to get back to work.
1: John, uh, does the Conservative Party have to go about picking a leader sooner rather than later? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Andrew Scheer had a great week, followed by not a very great one last week. And, and uh, you know, in the current crisis seems to advantage anyone who is in power.
2: Yeah, it does. And and, and that's, we, we see that through and through, uh, throughout, you know, crisis in the past where, you know, leaders, um, and quite frankly, some, some don't excel and don't, don't rise, uh, to, uh, to the challenge. But I think what we're seeing here in this particular, uh, crisis, which is unprecedented, uh, is not only, you know, Justin Trudeau and the federal leader doing well, uh, but the provincial leaders are doing extremely well. I mentioned that, that I, I did a webinar with uh, Greg Lyle, our pollster, who came back and said that the numbers, for the provincial premiers across the board are quite significant. In fact, Quebec and Ontario being the two uh, leading ones where they're in the 70-80 range um, and, and the prime minister hovering around 60-70, which is still unbelievably high. Uh, and, and I think it just shows that, that you know, you, you, people do look towards to their leaders for, for comfort and for transparency, for news. Uh, and I think that's been effective and working. But, but as a result of that, the opposition, don't get the limelight, don't get the oxygen that they need and they require, quite frankly, for their own survival. Uh, And I think, you know, Andrew Scheer, we talked about this too in the past where where we said Andrew Shear had a really good week when he challenged the prime minister on that uh, economic omnibus bill where where they had the clause where it was a bit of a power grab and I thought he uh, got some wide-ranging, uh, um, you know, support and, and applause from from a lot of folks to, to challenge the prime minister and have him back down on it. And I thought yeah, that was a good week. And then, of course, as you mentioned, Libby, not so good week with, uh, with the challenging of, of parliament coming back and whether or not to have four sittings versus one. Uh, and even more recently with Derek Sloan and how he handled that issue. Um, so, you know, it's a challenging time for opposition because they want to be and they need to be supportive of their government. Uh, in times of crisis, but in the past, some crises we've seen last a day or two, and you could be supportive of the government in, in a day or two, uh, and then go back to challenging them and, and you know and asking them what went wrong, what went right. The fact of the matter is, here it's been you know, almost six, seven, eight weeks where the opposition have to keep you know applauding and sort agreeing and supporting the government, and at which point do the opposition members get antsy and say, "Look, we still have to we still have to do our job and challenge them. We have to make sure that." that the wage subsidies are 75%, not 10%. We have to make sure that the China, when they bring um, supplies here to Canada, that those planes aren't empty and why are, why are they empty. And those kinds of questions need to happen, but you've got to do it in a way that's not tone-deaf uh, and that are asking legitimate questions that ultimately help the people and not themselves.
1: Uh, Karen, do the Conservatives need to get on with getting a leader in place?
4: No, I, I don't think so, to be honest with you. I, I think the time right now, to, to a lot of the points that John was saying, there's uh, the opposition role right now is not um, as needed as it's going to be in the upcoming months. And the, the time that the Conservatives are going to need a leader are when we're dealing with the kind of programs that we've um, rolled out. But now we have to think about rolling back or tapering or, or changing. Uh, you know, what is the border? What is the impact of closing the border for 60 days? And how are we going to reengage with the U.S. and Mexico? On on free trade and what does that look like in the context of uh, different states and different areas opening at different times? So there's it, it, what does it mean to actually be a free and open economy? So and what does it mean for interprovincial trade? Which those barriers existed before this crisis occurred that um, we'll have to look at again. So there's going to be big issues uh, confronting the government, and I think as as Charles and John agree that you know right now the only issue is to defeat the virus, but but that's going to change. And when that when that changes and that conversation happens, that's when I think the Conservatives need to get their House in order and get a leader who's going to be able to hold the government to account. And I, I don't think that's now. I think that's coming up uh, in the fall. Charles, uh, I, is the government I getting...
3: Complete. I mean, now is not the time to choose a, a new federal Conservative leader, although I will say there's a lot of federal Conservatives that wish they could. When you say that Andrew Shear had a bad week, That is an understatement. I mean, it was just last Tuesday that uh, an Ontario Conservative MP, Derek Sloan, as John mentioned, who's actually running for the federal Conservative leadership, called for um, Canada's chief medical officer, Dr. Theresa Tam, to be fired and um, accused her of, or rather asked if she was working for Canada or for China and accused her of dutifully repeating China's propaganda Um, And of course, Dr. Tam is of Asian descent, right? So it didn't take much to realize that this was just a fairly blatant playing of the race card. I noticed Michelle Rempel-Garner, Conservative MP from Alberta, Michael Chong, Conservative MP from Ontario, were out like literally minutes later denouncing this idiot's statements directed towards Theresa Tam. It took Andrew Shear six days to denounce those statements, and that that speaks to a paucity of leadership. And I'm not surprised at all that a lot of conservatives want this guy gone.
2: John, yeah, no, I, I Charles has least has been very consistent with respect to his views of Andrew Shear. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and I applaud him for that. But you know, I think I think that there's no question that that. Uh, he's had a bad week and and again it's it's trying to find you know your your balance between being an opposition leader and not and I think with Andrew Scheer, his challenge only is that but also the fact that he's an interim leader which means he's a bit of a caretaker leader and his responsibility is to caucus and to the party to ensure that he leaves the party in 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 a good shape so that the new leader comes in and can sort of you know work uh, towards towards challenging the government in some way shape or form but with a strong and united backing in a caucus and I think that if you start seeing that slip away the calls for leadership to happen sooner rather than later, as we're hearing now in some cases uh will will mount even more and more aggressively but but I do think look you know at, at this time uh you know cheers you, being in there, he's got a very strong cock he's got a really, really strong back bench of, of leaders who are are asking some very tough questions and being very effective um i, I just think that that we need to and and the party quite frankly will will know soon enough i think when they when they decided to suspend. The leadership process, they said that they were going to come back and make an announcement on May the 1st, uh, which is Friday, uh, to see what they're going to do by way of extending it. So, uh, you know, you're hearing in the media and others and through the social media that, that there are conservatives saying, look, at, let's let's speed this up, let's get this going. Um, and, you know, how that's going to look like, what that's going to be, are they going to open it up, are they going to keep the, the leadership candidates the way they are, are they going to keep the membership cut off the way it is, that's all to be determined based on what the the leadership election committee decides to do. I was
1: just going to ask, might they reopen, uh, you know, the, the process for nominations? Well, you know, if they do,
2: uh, then that extends it even beyond the the, the where, you know, being able to say, look, we were supposed to have a leadership convention June 27th or whatever that weekend is, and the end of June was what your original date was. uh, And we were going to have a big conference and a big convention. Well, of course, that's not going to happen. So, what is that going to look like? Are they going to want to still have something big and maybe hope for 2021 as a potential to, to see if things open up? Uh, or are they are going to do something completely virtual where it's going to be either online or by phone or, or by mail-in ballots? At which point, if that's the case, then I would say that they won't open it up because they've gone through the process and they've gone through all of the vetting and, and the questioning and the, and the questionnaires being formed and the signatures being signed and the money being raised. Uh, to open that all up again, uh, I think is going to cause a big challenge. But there are people who are saying, hey, look, wait a minute. We went through a crisis. There are some leaders within the PC caucus, within the Conservative caucus in Ottawa, who have just shone and, and should be considered well, exactly. as candidates uh... now because they weren't maybe three or four months ago. Um, but it'll be determined on, on when they want to do this, how they want to do this. And if they want to do this quicker than normal, then I would say that they're just going to extend the date and keep the uh, the candidates the way they are.
1: Uh,
4: Karen, do you have a view? Do you think they should reopen? I do think they should reopen. I I think that it's The world has changed significantly. The issues confronting Canadians have changed significantly. The issues confronting the Conservative Party have changed. And, you know, just this rush to pitch sheer because people don't like the job he's doing, I I don't think is going to serve us in the long run or serve the Conservative Party in the long run. I think that they really need to play the long game on this one. And for the next and accept the fact that for the next, you know, six months, they're probably irrelevant anyway. So take that time to figure out who is the best leader. And if it means opening that up and creating some new processes, there's not going to be a convention anytime in the near future at any event. And so take some, take some time to think about what is the process that we want to have that will help us get the best leadership that we can in this time, because it is, it's, 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 I think it's an obligation for the party to, to, to do that personally.
1: Okay, we are almost out of time, so I'm going to give 20 seconds to Charles and uh, John following Karen there. So, Charles, what would you like to leave us with?
3: I, I agree with Karen 100%. I mean, COVID has changed so much about our economy, about our politics, that opening up the race to new participants would make total sense. That said, I doubt very much that it'll happen. I mean, it's the Conservative Party of Canada's national executive that would make that decision. And my guess is that it's totally um, dominated by supporters of uh, Peter McCain and uh, Aaron O'Toole. And as a result, we will see very little uh, interest in opening up the race.
1: John, 20 seconds. Yeah, it's
2: it, it, it yet to be seen. I, I suspect that they'll keep it the way it is. I don't think they'll open it up. I think it causes too many issues, given the fact that a lot of these candidates worked their behinds off to get to the $300,000 range and to get to the, 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 the signatures and and so forth. I think opening it up again and having them do that, it just becomes a, a huge issue of of what do they do? The ones that have already done it and the new ones, are they able to go and do it based on the fact that they can't? They don't have the ability that the other ones did, which at the beginning was to actually go to events and, and actually get signatures.
1: Okay. That is all the time we have. Thank you so much, John Capobianco, Charles Bird, and Karen Stitt miss you guys in person and uh, look forward to talking again next, next week. Thanks so much. Thanks, thanks,
2: thanks, Lizzie. Thanks, Lizzie. Take care.
1: Bye-bye, okay, everybody. take care.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.